Hello and welcome to the TIFF podcast. I'm Shamal Haroon. The Faculty of Public Health of the Royal College of Physicians is the standard setting body for specialists in public health in the United Kingdom. I recently invited public health registrars in the UK to submit questions they had about specialty training to the new president of the Faculty of Public Health, Professor John Middleton. Here's what he had to say. Hi John, thanks very much for joining the podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? Yes, well, hello, uh, Shamil, and uh, uh, thank you for this uh, interview. Um, I'm John Middleton. I was uh, Director of Public Health in uh, Sandwell in the West Midlands of England for 26 years, uh, and I've been in public health for about 30 years now. Um, And I've been the Vice President of the Faculty of Public Health for Policy, uh, and uh, now I'm uh, president. Well, thanks very much for, for your time. Um, we've had a number of questions which registrars from around the UK have sent, um, which I'm hoping you'll be able to, to answer. Um, so I'm just going to run through them, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, so to start off, the, the 2015 curriculum offers registrars leadership opportunities for mental well-being and sustainability and highlights the need for high-level negotiation and influencing skills. What three skills should new consultants have to survive in an increasingly challenging financial and political landscape of ever-reducing budgets and capacity in local authority, Public Health England and Department of Health? Well, there's... uh... A number of skills that consultants need that are kind of independent of what the uh, financial situation is. The um, people will never find a great time in the, in the context of public health. There will always be insufficient money, or um, the uh, things will always seem difficult. I can't remember a time in my professional career, except perhaps a couple of years in. 2007 2008 when we were uh, able to really motor on what we wanted to do so I think um, new consultants uh, and registrars do need to major on their influencing skills Uh, you have to be able to get other people to do the things you want to do the things that you think should be done Um, and uh, you have to be able to network and you have to be able to uh, command your knowledge. So if you, uh, and increasingly that means having a great retrieval system, something where you can constantly able to get access to the stuff that you need. And, you know, you can't know everything, so you need to be able to uh, find out where stuff is. So networking, knowledge management and influence, I think, are the three. Great. And what novel areas would you recommend for public health work other than the standards, Public Health England, Local Authority, NHS England type of placements? Yeah, well, I, I do think um, university placements are important. Um, you know, as with so many areas of public health work at the moment, people feel that 
universities are a difficult place to work. Um, but, you know, they are the engine of knowledge that, um, that we should uh, continue to develop in public health. And uh, so I would strongly advise people to get into a university placement, possibly a formal attachment, possibly a clinical fellow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, there are some other novel uh, sorts of uh, places. I mean, uh, uh, the, the Nuffield Trust you know, has, uh, is a national treasure. It's a place you could go for some aspect of your training. Let's see what, see what a think tank does. Um, we uh, are looking at last, finally, I hear you say, at uh, the faculty itself becoming a national treasure, which uh, for a body that uh, is concerned with standards and uh, education, uh, you might have think we'd have done that ages ago, but... Uh, uh, we haven't, and now we are going to. Great. And if you were an ST5 with a limited study budget and equal lack of formally rec- recognised ability in all high-level areas, where would you spend your £500 study budget? Would it be on project management skills, on financial management skills, negotiation, influencing skills, or, or something else? Well, uh, out of that list, I think I would always say negotiation and influencing. Um, the thing about uh, you, those kind of skills, they're not. There are some things that you can be taught, um, some little tips that can help you along the way, um, but they're more in the realm of things that you need to be coached in. So you need to come back to them time and again. And I'm, I've been a great uh, fan of uh, coaching as well as mentoring over many years. So I would always say, uh, you know, um, do the no- negotiating and the influencing skills. Um, project management is something that um, we do need more of and financial management. And uh, I'm very heartened that we've got those into the new curriculum. <clears throat> but I, uh, out of that list of choices, I think I would definitely choose the negotiating and influencing. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to be able to turn our uh, registrars from being bright, knowledgeable uh, individuals into people who can change uh, policies change lives, change budgets. Uh, so the influencing skill is something that um, you can never get too much of. And having somebody just observe and coach and uh, you know um, take you through those skills, I think, is extremely important. What is the single most important piece of advice you would give to a new consultant? Well, I think you've got to be very patient. You you shouldn't come in and tell the world how you're going to change it, and uh, you know the 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 most turn off the most turn offing thing that uh, I've seen some people do is to tell their new bosses they're a change agent, and um, say not over my not my policies you're not going to change. So I think uh, you have to be patient. Uh, you do need to build your networks. Have a have a thorough induction. Um, obviously, the immediate people that you're working with, then a wider network of um, you know people in the political or the um, administrative 
administrative arena uh, and then with the you know the wider networks of people that you're going to need to work with so again it's it's um, you know um, know who the people are who can help you do the job um, be nice to them and always be nice to finance as well that's always very important <laughs> Um, so moving on to, to international health, so gaining experience in international health can be very challenging during specialty training, and this is something I've heard recurring uh, as a recurring theme um, throughout my training. So given the importance of global health, what can the Faculty of Public Health do to facilitate and promote international training placements? Yeah, well, the, um, there have been uh, little local difficulties about... Um, employment conditions and insurance and that kind of stuff but uh, we think with uh, the offices of uh, of the the um, uh, the deans uh, and the uh, health education england we, we we think we've got a way to do that with public health england now so hopefully um, placements in uh, in distant places will be both possible and protected and practical. So um, beyond that, the faculty has uh, a very outward-looking international committee now. Um, our international registrar, Neil Squires, is now also the director of uh, international global health for Public Health England. Um, has enormous experience through um, work for DFID. Uh, and so we have, um, you know, um, quite a robust arrangement to help and advise people on, on international placements. We also have some growing special interest groups in um, one for Pakistan, one for India, uh, Africa. Um, and we also have the uh, special interest group on uh, global violence prevention. So, you know, Whilst we are clearly a, a UK-based faculty, we have a lot of people who are uh, very keen and very interested in global health, and we also uh, have something like 11% uh, of our membership is from uh, other countries. So uh, uh, I think we, you know, we have a, a robust way of actually helping registrars to get placements abroad. That's happening to us. Plenty of opportunities for. Yeah. for gaining international experience yeah. on the training scheme. Yeah. What implications will Brexit have for public health collaboration across Europe and internationally, and what implications might this have for training? Well, there are big concerns about how um, the um, qualifications and, um, you know, having spent many years building up uh, equivalents in in qualifications across europe um you know universities uh, other colleges we're all very concerned about what it means for um, for the free movement of uh, public health specialists across across europe uh, i've been at a number of international forums recently um and you know there is this great sadness about the Britain moving out of the EU, uh, but at the same time, uh, still uh, a major desire to work and collaborate with us. And, um, you know, public health is by its nature an international activity. 
uh, and we need to uh, take every opportunity we can to, to maintain the links and develop them. Um, the other things which might become more active and more live in, uh, in terms of our international work are our uh, relationships with the Commonwealth, which is now quite an active health body. And so, again, through our international committee, we're working closely with uh, the Commonwealth um, and also with the World Federation of Public Health Associations. We are bidding to hold the 2020 uh, World Congress and uh, you know, so we, we are maintaining and developing our international links even at this very difficult time. You know, it's important for the UK is that, um, you know, the the old adage of um, thinking global and acting local is unavoidable in the context of uh, planetary health. This relatively new notion that um, was published in the Lancet uh, in 2015, um, in which um, People have described um, not just the, the way that climate change is important, but how factors such as migration, um, acidification of the oceans, uh, loss of agricultural land, loss of fish, um, poisoning of the great food, uh, uh, the great food uh, bread baskets of the, of the world. You know, um, all of these things have a, an interrelationship and uh, we could face food riots in this country. There's no nothing that insulates us against these kinds of things. Um, and uh, so a world that's increasingly influenced by um, uh, conflict, by climate change, um, by in, unequal access to resources, um, it will all come to impact on us back in the UK, um, and certainly I've made the idea of planetary health something that I want to pursue, certainly in the second two years of my, uh, my presidency. There was an, another question about um, inequality. So we hear a lot about um, health inequalities, and it's really been a, a, a big focus in public health. Given that inequality is the root cause of so much disease and given its traditional focus in public health, what directions and actions should a new consultant focus on to reduce inequalities? Um, and what collaborative actions would you recommend? Well, the, the major uh, causes of inequality are in, are in economics. Um, we have been seeing a progressively more unequal society over the last 30 years. Um, and Principally, that's about money. It's about people's incomes. The rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. Um, so in all of that uh, context, you know, consultants must be advocates for fairer economic policy uh, and uh, for policies such as the living wage, which is part of our, um, um, our manifesto. Uh, but it's not the living wage of George Osborne. It's the living wage that's defined by the Joseph Roundtree Trust and the Loughborough University. It's a, it's a, it's a living, healthy wage. And uh, so, you know, we do need our consultants to be advocates to remind people that big policy actually kills, kills or makes 
makes people healthier. Um, and the same around uh, educational policies that are fair and equal and give give opportunity to, to all. Um, it may be that a consultant's working at a local level and might feel that they can't do anything about inequality, but actually um, in the information systems, in the analysis that uh, consultants do, um, if you're looking at uh, access to health or other services, you know, poor people get poor services. And uh, so just being a custodian of proper data for uh, assessing inequalities is, a, is an important thing to do. Advocating for local services that address inequality, so welfare rights, um, you know, fuel poverty, affordable warmth, all these are actually policies that, that can address some aspects of inequality. You know, the, the teenage pregnancy policies that we had for the last 18 years or so, you know, do appear to be helping some of the very poorest people to a greater extent and therefore there are leveling leveling up economic opportunity and um you know actually enabling um children to be born into um in, into better circumstances so um you know and then in sandwell for instance we had a whole raft of things related to food poverty and uh, food access um and again if you can't um necessarily improve people's incomes you can uh, enable them to be more self-sufficient so you know a lot of the health health promotion is green promotion and it's also um good for the local economy you know good good food schemes food food co-ops food banks um schemes in you know fitness and uh, enabling people to cycle and walk to work, you know, um, a whole raft of things which are actually good for local economy and local health. Sometimes public health can feel a little bit arm's length from ground zero. So do you, do you feel that all registrars and consultants get enough frontline grassroots experience? And if not, how can that shoe leather epidemiology type approach be encouraged more? Um, Well, the um, the place, the best place to learn shoe leather epidemiology is is getting yourself stuck into a health protection uh, attachment and being involved on outbreak management because you can do case control studies, you can, uh, you know, uh, do surveys, and um, you know that that's very quick and dirty epidemiology. Um, nowadays, with these great um, uh, sort of information uh, tools and resources that we've got like um, the fingertips resource you know you can you can explore local data relatively straightforwardly but then it can you know it will throw up questions as to why the differences are occurring and so on so um, you know I, I think there's no substitute to uh, you know get, getting stuck into those kind of data tools and um, you know asking questions about them formulating things that need to be further researched um, and um, you know so on the one hand it's you know real hands-on with health protection and 
other hand, slightly removed perhaps, but but really start trying to tease out what the data is saying. Mm. Health and social care are coming together in increasingly more closely. What should public health registrars do to prepare for their future roles facilitating that integration? Um, I think um, developing an understanding of how social care works is very important. Um, and uh, it is um, it comes from a different premise. It is about it is about care for vulnerable in individuals. It's not a universal um, approach, um, you know, and it, it hasn't been um, at the forefront of prevention in, until re relatively recently. But actually, I think um, you know the. Um, you know, there's a need to expand the evidence base for, for a lot of social care, a need to test some of it, um, and also a need to you know, work in a very collaborative way to develop the schemes that can prevent a need for you know, social care of a residential or uh, nursing home type, type care uh, and see what alternatives we can jointly develop. So. Uh, you know, and I know a lot of social care colleagues are very uh, open to the to the principles, but uh, they they do need to be helped to get that sort of wider population approach. Mm. Any are there any other points that you'd like to bring up that we haven't covered? Um, yes, I mean the in relation to um, the Brexit question, I've really covered that principally about. Um, you know our own uh, people in training or our own uh, workforce who might want to work in Europe and so on. But um, Brexit is very important for the public's health. We and we do need to advocate uh, for health improving policies. Um, and very recently in our discussions through the UK Public Health Network, which includes the Royal Society, the Association of DSPH, um, the um, Chartered Institute of Environmental Health and others, um, we've been thinking not just about how we protect the regulations that help us to, to have healthier communities, things like the um, the, um, the the workplace provisions, environmental regulations, food safety, food uh, consumer safety. Um, we need to keep all those, and we need to keep the tobacco products directive. But we also need to argue for even bigger things that we think will be of benefit to our our country, uh, and so losing the common agricultural policy we think we need to argue for a national food policy one that pays the farmers properly uh, and when you think about it you know highly processed food is actually the stuff that we're uh, trying to campaign against you know high sugar high fat um, high salt uh, and that's the bit that makes the money. You know, the farmers get 20 billion. The the food industry takes 20, 220 billion. So, you know, a healthier food policy would actually be better for farmers and it would be healthier for the population as well. Uh, and you can apply that to, to all sorts of areas. Can Britain feed itself? Can Britain 
keep itself warm? Can Britain care for itself? And so, you know, using the language of the levers, we need we do need to take control, but we need to uh, do so in a way that that is a fairer community and self-reliant, but not necessarily one that generates huge profits for somebody else. Great. Well, that's been hugely informative, John. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Many thanks to all the registrars who submitted questions for this episode, and many thanks to you all for listening. You can discuss this and other episodes on Twitter using hashtag phdevelop, where you can also suggest topics for future episodes. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Thanks again for listening and hope to see you next time. Mm-hmm.